morning. Welcome to another episode of the DFWTO podcast. I am your host, Casper. And I'm your other host, Becky Grimnin. Here to bring you all things spooky on Wednesdays because <clears throat> Wednesdays are for podcasts. <clears throat> we're, all, we're, sorry. Clearing, we're clearing the throats tonight. The phlegm is here. The seasons are changing. It is becoming fall. It's a lot. I'm so I mean, I'm fucking happy. excited. I'm happy. But you know when allergy season is here. <laughs> allergy season's here. Question. Is Change it allergies? Or is it Delta? <laughs> oh my god. Why do we keep naming the COVID bear, the COVID shit names of companies? Can we talk about that? <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it was really, really funny the the how <laughs> how variants coincided with Loki and now everybody's playing the fuck off of that. I'm like, <laughs> I know, That's right? Amazing. <laughs> um, also, how Delta was like, "Fuck whoever named this," and Corona was like, "Welcome to the suck." <laughs> Like, could we not? <laughs> we just not do that. So, guys, anyway, before we get into our episode, our movie review episode of The Conjuring 3, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Calm your buddy down. So, if you guys listened into our episode last week in the Calm Your Down and they can't we all be talking about yeah that's the name of the company um and the i'm promo, sorry can you spell that i can't i i really can't i can't at all I, I'll be, I'll be quite um the uh promo last week for calm your body down included mentioning the uh becky's bud bomb the C- cbd company that was coming um that is still in the works i do plan on trying to launch that sometime this month um, so I didn't want anybody to think since if you haven't seen anything posted as of recently, it, it is coming. Um, but as far as, um, any, what's been recently posted on the Calm Your Body Down page is some announcements coming, um, right now until the end of this month, the, specifically the Blueberry Bath Bombs and the Tattoo Wax. Both of them are 50% off right now. Um. The blueberry lemon will not be back until next summer. The tattoo wax for now won't be back. We'll see what happens. Um, next Friday is the 13th. So the pumpkin spice bath bombs will be, will be back then. And um, I think I also was that strategic. Something... Actually, no, because I was wanting to bring them back sometime this month. I try to do it around the same time, you know, when everything else pumpkin spice is coming out. But then I was like, we have Friday the 13th this month. I need to take advantage of that. Good idea. Strategic. Um, and I did also mention because that was something um, a fan of the show, a customer had mentioned about some men's products and beard products. Um, I do plan on trying to have something available next month. Um, some combo beard, mustache, balm, wax, something. Um, so that'll be next month. Pumpkin Spice will be the 13th and the end of august the tattoo wax and blueberry ones will be gone so right now they are 50 percent off um there is no code they're just marked 50 percent off so if you go to the link in the bio of the instagram it's available there or just calm your body down on etsy uh calm your body down instagram and thanks again calm your body down <laughs> twang 
So like SpongeBob. Wow, that was perfect. That was pretty <laughs> Well. Um so guys, tonight is our movie review episode. I'm sorry. Episode of The Conjuring 3. The Devil Made Me Do It. Now, if you guys have been following this podcast for a while, which I'm sure you have, you know how me and Becky feel about these movies. The Conjuring Universe is our favorite. Um, so we've been, we're looking forward to talking about this movie as we did watch it together. So. Yes. Uh, if you guys got a chance to watch it, um, either in the theater or streamed it, HBO Max, um, which I personally think has been really awesome that, uh, they have certain movies available. I mean, they give you about a month, you know, if you're not able or don't want to or unable, whatever, to see it in the theater. Um, it would have been nice, but I really wanted to see it. And I we wanted to see wait it immediately anymore. and I could not wait to see it. So In your defense, um, it was also for your birthday. This is true. <laughs> so, and I really wanted to. So it was really exciting to watch it. Um, it was actually really neat to watch it at home, to be honest. That was like, so interesting. I have not watched a brand new movie at home, like especially a Conjuring movie. Like it was just really, it was it was really cool in a way to be able to do that. It was kind of like a comfort, you know, it was uninterrupted. You could pause and go to the bathroom if you needed to. Um, so yeah, it was, it was nice. Um, I would also like to mention that the same day I was at work and I was like, you know, it'd be really cool if we could have like a thunderstorm happen while we watch it. And we were lit, we were literally getting ready to turn it on. And I kid you fucking not. We had storms rolling through the area. It wasn't necessarily on top of us. But before the movie started, you could hear thunder rolling in the distance. And I was like, bitch. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. Couldn't have asked for better. <laughs> Could not have asked for better. That actually happened with one of the episodes of Lovecraft Country that we watched. Because my husband was like, this is such a great, sh- this would be such a great show to watch. Like when it's storming. Mm-hmm. And like literally it was like the same, same scenario. I love it. That is such a great show, by the way, if people haven't gotten a chance to get started on it. We're, we're not as far into it as I wish we could be. But we've got time. And... It's just, it's just a really great show. I think it's really awesome. But um, I digress. Back to The Conjuring. Um, this story also was really incredible because it was one of the cases of Ed and Lorraine that I know I personally was really excited to see. Um, as well, I this was is as such, well. This is such an infamous story. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, the fact that there was actually a murder trial that was the, the the basis of the defense of the murder trial was possession was demonic possession and um i actually found out about this story ironically through a movie called exorcism of emily rose because when i looked this movie up because i was just looking at the real story about emily rose which her name was uh fuck what was her name? Oh, the actual... The actual woman. Woman. Oh, wow. It starts um, with an A. It, is it Anna something? Yeah, because she was Italian, right? I was think... Did it happen in Italy? It didn't happen here. No, I, it didn't. I know that. Um, yeah, well, I'll find But anyway, it. so her, 
Um, I was looking up the real story behind the movie of the exorcism of Emily Rose. And I remember Googling um, trial cases of demonic possession. And this story actually popped up. And so I actually got to read about this story because I was still in the learning stages of Ed and Lorraine at that time. Um, I wasn't fully, like, in very knowledgeable. I apologize. It was in Germany. Her name was uh, Annalise Mikkel. I That's apologize. okay. It was, it was, I thought you knew it wasn't American, Italian, but I, I <laughs> knew it was not in America, but it was in Bavaria, Germany. Um, but yeah, so that's how I found out about this story, and I became so engrossed in it because I was like, wow, like these stories of these people who go to trial and they say, like, basically, I was possessed. Like, how, how does that? How does that translate? Like you can't. Like you're just gonna tell the police. Like okay, yeah, I uh, I didn't actually do that, but I did. Like I did it, but it wasn't me. Like how do you, how do you convey that? So it was just it was just very interesting to me to read it back then and then to see it play out on screen, especially because of being such a big fan of Ed and Lorraine, and then seeing it, you know, as a movie. Obviously, there were things that were added that weren't part of it, but the the truth. Of the story was done so well on the film. I really do applaud that. I think I had actually... So, I... I had always sort of, have, sort of knew about the story or had at least heard about cases or specifically one particular case where um, there was... Like, you know, the devil made me do it. You'd always hear that expression, the devil mm -hmm. made me do it. And I would go, well, you know, what the hell does that mean? And then um, the show, I had seen, and I think it was A Haunting, which if, if nobody's seen that show, that show was amazing. A Haunting was, the recreations were, were, were you know, uh, What's the phrase I'm looking for? Interesting. They were, they were you know, entertaining. To, they were something to behold. Let's just say that. Uh, but this. Can we talk about they, the CGI in the beginning seasons? Wow. Because wow, I mean, it was 2002. I mean, still, that was when that like, show started. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, limited budget. You know, I mean, I'm trying to give them some credit. This was 2002, so, At you least know. get actors that look like the real people. Look, back when I was in high school, that <laughs> shit looked cool. I could see now, That's but, true. like, back when I was in high school, like... We it had, scared me, because I was young, and I was like, like that oh. shit looked fucking amazing. It did. But, um, Debbie Glatzel and Arnie Johnson, who we'll refer to quite a bit in this story, um, as like two of the two of the main people in the story were interviewed on one of the very early early episodes of a haunting and i watched it and that's when i you know i heard the devil made me do it thing and i was like oh so that's where that phrase comes from like and that's when i got introduced to the case and what actually happened um you know of course found out that it was one of ed and lorraine's cases um and uh you know, just from there, hearing about it, thinking, like, this is just crazy. And I'll, actually, for a really long time, I was trying to figure out why they hadn't made a movie about this. Because I was like, this is the, I mean, this is a perfect movie. Like, this story is just, <clears throat> this story's crazy. I mean, just literally every facet of this story, even if Ed and Lorraine weren't involved, every facet of this story is just insane. So, I think a lot of it, though, with stories like this... 
I almost feel like it's better that they waited because techno again, like going back to CGI and things like that, technology has come so far and there's so much more you can do um, with CGI, with different things that you just wouldn't have been able to do not long after this. I mean, this case happened in 1981, so you wouldn't have been able to do much until more recently as far as effects to really bring a story like this to film and really do it justice. Um, especially one specific scene in the movie where you find out that's a contortionist and they swapped the face, you know, obviously computer generated, it could swap the face of the actor of the little boy to, you know, from the, the contortionist who was a woman. And I mean, that was not CGI <laughs> seeing a body bend that way. I was like, I mean, I, I know that's possible. Right. Cause I've seen <laughs> contortionist live, but like still, it's just. No, thank you. It's very unsettling, but um, before we get into the movie, just to give some background on the case, because obviously it's not going to make sense if we don't talk about what actually happened. Um, so this is just a really quick uh, uh, synopsis of what um, David and, uh, I'm sorry, what Arnie and Debbie both said while they were interviewed for um, A Haunting, which was on the Discovery Channel at the time. Um, Arnie Cheyenne Johnson and Debbie Glatzel, uh, they said that they did not believe in demonic activities themselves, but they claimed that their father was an eyewitness to demonic possession. Both Johnson and Debbie were adamant in their support of the Warrens' recollection of events. They asserted that paranormal activity began after they went to clean up a rental property that they had just acquired. David recollected that an old man appeared pushing and terrifying him. Now, David is Debbie's little brother. So the Glatzel family, uh, according to their testimony, witnessed 11-year-old David playing host to a demon. And so originally it happened because David saw this old man in this rental property. So the couple initially thought that David was using the old man as an excuse to avoid helping them clean, but he informed them that the old man had vowed to harm the family if they moved into this home. David's visions of the old man included the man appearing as a demonic beast who muttered Latin and threatened to steal his soul. Although the family allegedly heard strange noises coming from the attic, no one but David ever witnessed the old man. After David experienced night terrors, exhibited strange behavior, obtained unexplained scratches and bruises, the family called upon the services of a Catholic priest who attempted to bless the house. The terrified family concluded that the house was evil and would no longer continue to rent it. David's visions worsened, occurring in the daytime as well. Twelve days after the original incident, the family uh, called upon Ed and Lorraine to assist them, um, Ed being a demonologist and Lorraine being clairvoyant. Lorraine allegedly witnessed a black mist materialize next to David, an apparent indication of malevolent pre presence. Debbie and her mother told the Warrens they had seen David being beaten and choked by invisible hands and that red marks had appeared on his neck. David had started to growl, hiss, speak in otherworldly voices, and recite passages from the Bible or Paradise Lost. The Glatzels recounted how each night a family member would remain awake with David as he suffered through spasms and convulsions after receiving a prognosis of multiple possessions from the Warrens. David was subjected to three exorcisms. Lorraine asserted that David, David levitated, he seized breathing, and even demonstrated the supernatural ability of precognition, specifically in relation to the manslaughter that Arnie would later commit. 
In October of 1980, the Warrens contacted Brookfield police to warn them that the situation was becoming dangerous. Arnie was Debbie's boyfriend at the time. They had grown up together. They'd known each other since high school. He was very close with the family. According to an eyewitness testimony, Arnie coerced one of the demons, purportedly within David, to possess him while participating in David's exorcism. Now, when they say by coerce, and Lorraine was actually one of the witnesses, David felt so, or uh, I'm sorry, Arnie felt so helpless in what was happening to David. And remember, this is an 11-year-old child going through this, that Arnie said, stay, get out of him and come into me. If you want to challenge someone, come into me is what he said. And 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 Lorraine said, no, no, no. And people, you know, who heard him said, don't say that. Um, it is here that the episode veered away from the circumstances of Johnson's possession as described by those involved. According to the show, a few days after Johnson egged the demon on during the exorcism, I don't know if I'd say egged on, but at least said, leave David and come into me, um, he was attacked rather viciously by the demon, which allegedly took control of his car and forced it into a tree. Fortunately, Johnson was unharmed. After this incident, Johnson returned to the rental property to examine an old well that supposedly housed the demon in both the dramatized and personal account versions. Johnson recollects that this was his final encounter with the demon while he was completely lucid. After encountering the demon at the well and making eye contact with it, he became possessed. The Warrens claimed to have warned him not to do this. As David's condition worsened, Debbie um, and Arnie, who had been living in her mother's home, decided it was time to move. Debbie was hired by Alan Bono, a new resident in Brookfield, as a dog groomer. Uh, he was from Australia. After moving in, Johnson started to exhibit odd behavior that was strikingly similar to David's, causing Debbie to fear that he had become possessed. According to Debbie, Johnson would fall into a trance-like state wherein he would growl, hallucinate, but have no memory of what happened. On February 16th of 1981, Johnson had called him sick from his job. He joined Debbie at the kennel where she worked. Uh, Bono, their landlord friend, as well as Debbie's employer, had brought them lunch and proceeded to drink heavily. After lunch, they returned to the kennel. Um, Debbie had taken her sisters to get some food for dinner um but uh alan insisted that they return as soon as possible when they returned bono who was intoxicated at this point or i believe it's pronounced bono became agitated everyone that left that this is according to what debbie said everyone that left the room at debbie's urging except him who seized mary and refused to let her go johnson headed back to the apartment arnie sorry and ordered bono to release mary or at least this is what he was envisioning wanda recounted that the police that the following Wanda recounted the following events to the police. Now, this is um, Debbie's sister. Uh, she said that Mary ran for the car as Debbie attempted to mitigate the situation by standing between the two man men. Wanda tried in vain to pull Johnson away. Johnson started to growl, grabbed a pocket knife, and started to stab Bono. Bono died several hours later. According to Johnson's lawyer, Arnie suffered, four, or I'm sorry, Bono suffered about four or five wounds to his chest and one that stretched from his stomach to his heart. Johnson was discovered two miles away after the killing, covered in blood, and was held at the Bridgepoint Correctional Facility, and this was the first unlawful killing in the history of Brookfield, Connecticut. Um, so that's just some background on the, on the case itself, um, because obviously some of this was fictionalized for the movie, 
um, specifically some of the events that happened uh, regarding David's possession. Obviously, a lot of what was shown in the film was greatly dramatized, but a lot of the events that actually did happen were absolutely terrifying. There is a recording of one of the exorcisms that Ed and Lorraine were present to um, where you hear the demonic voice coming out of David. That is not what an 11-year-old little boy should sound <laughs> like. Um, it is absolutely horrifying, especially considering his mother, his father, his sister, Arnie was there. Um, they do distinctly remember and 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 record are recorded saying that they did see the the handprints on him, the scratches, the bruises, everything, and it just got worse and worse and worse. I don't like using that Arnie necessarily egged on the demon. Now, obviously, that's the wording that was in this Wikipedia article, but the way that Arnie described it was that he, again, like I said, he felt helpless. And I think anybody in that situation, especially knowing Arnie's personal connection to the family, he felt like David was a little brother to him. And he could not stand seeing, I mean, anybody with compassion and empathy wouldn't be able to stand seeing a child go through something like that, especially when you ultimately have come to the conclusion that this is demonic possession. Um, and then that's when it started to infiltrate Arnie. And he was showing a lot of signs and symptoms days before Alan was stabbed to death. Um, and again, I this it's not mentioned with the two sisters being there in the movie <clears throat> as well. But I think it gives more context to the story. Because if people are unfamiliar with the story and they just see what's in the movie, it's portrayed as if it's just Arnie and Debbie there. And mm -hmm. that there was a situation that happened between Arnie... I'm sorry, there was a situation that happened between Alan and Debbie and that what Arnie was witnessing was maybe distorted because of the possession. And that's what that's what made him stab Alan um, at, at the end of it. But I think it's really important to give the context of saying that there was that there was actually three different people that saw, saw Arnie literally start to behave like an animal. Like he when Alan grabbed Wanda, it was almost as if, and Arnie has no recollection of this, but the way Debbie described it, and even in interviews, she said that Arnie was literally like a caged animal. He was foaming at the mouth, his eyes changed, his facial expressions. Like that was the thing that was really fucking me up. And you could hear it in her voice and see it in her face, even all these years later in this interview, was she said that, Literally, it was like his face morphed. Mm -mm. Nope. His eyes changed and went completely black. She said his face morphed. He started foaming at the mouth and these inhuman growls started coming out of him. And actually, the other thing that wasn't mentioned either was that when he grabbed that knife, he started like crawling after Alan to get to him. That was another yeah, thing that see, wasn't listen, mentioned. Like nobody, um, no human would get on all fours to start to chase after someone to stab them. This is why I have a crawling complex, just, okay? Like, holy same. shit, someone start crawling at me, growling, acting like a fucking animal. Mm-mm, bitch, mm-mm. That's a hard pass. I'm gonna... Yeah, that's a no for me, dog. <laughs> I also wanted to mention, too... Um, because not much of the trial is mentioned. That's towards the end of the movie um, where you do ultimately see it go to trial. Um, uh, that the day after the killing, Lorraine went to the police to tell them that 
uh, Johnson was possessed at the time um, because they'd witnessed what happened to David. They were wit they'd witnessed to what Arnie had said, what Debbie had told them about Arnie's behavior afterwards. So that that's what made Lorraine immediately go to the police after the killing happened. So the media blitz that surrounded the story, fueled in part by the Warrens. Um, now, again, this is somebody that wrote this under the guise of not being a fan, because a lot of this is what it sounds like, that they were using this as more of a publicity stunt. A lot of people say that about the Warrens. We are supportive of them. I don't necessarily believe that. Um, and we were actually just talking about this earlier, that I am a firm believer that Ed, above anything else, wanted as much as much of the world to know that demonic possession was real. Because by not acknowledging it, it only gives it more power. If you act like demonic possession doesn't exist, it, it just gives it more opportunities to possess, to infiltrate, and to destroy. And um, I think that this was one of those stories where as unfortunate and awful and horrible as what happened to Alan, and obviously it wasn't his fault at all. He was drunk. He probably just thought he was playing around. I think if there would have been any other situation, Arnie wouldn't have done this. It was described many times over that it wasn't just that he was Debbie's boss or their landlord. He was actually friends with them. Like he had moved to the neighborhood from Australia. He was drinking buddies with Arnie. Like he knew Arnie. He knew this family. He knew them. So if this was just him playing around with Debbie's sister, I don't believe that Arnie would have reacted any other way than normal if he had not been possessed because this wasn't him. He wouldn't have thought of anything. This of was it the demon. If they were friends. Because they because he knew him. Yeah. So that that just that right there didn't make any sense to me at all. Arnie's lawyer, Martin Manella received calls from all over the world about what was being called the demon murder trial. Manelia or Manella traveled to England to meet with lawyers who had been involved in two similar cases, though neither went to trial. He planned to fly in exorcism specialists from Europe and threatened to subpoena the priests who oversaw David's exorcism if they did not cooperate with the defense. The trial took place in Connecticut's Superior Court in Danbury beginning on October 28th of 1981. Manelia or Manella attempted to submit a plea of not guilty by virtue of possession, but the presiding judge, Robert Callahan, promptly rejected the defense. Callahan argued that no such defense could ever exist in a court of law due to lack of evidence and that it would be irrelevant and unscientific to allow related testimony. The defense chose to imply that, Jack's, that Johnson acted in self-defense. There was literally no, nothing else that they could do because there was a murder, there was a body, there was who murdered him. Somebody was going to go to jail. And it was going to be Arnie. And it didn't matter what he was going to go to jail for. There was a dead body. Somebody was going to be held responsible. And it was going to be Arnie. So his lawyer had no other choice but to fight for self-defense. And I think that this was really difficult once the case came out. Because it made a lot of people feel as though the Glatzel family and Arnie maybe even the Warrens, the lawyer, everybody involved didn't care about Alan and his death. And I really don't think that's the case. I think no. it was trying to show that this was an accident. And if it hadn't been due to the unfortunate circumstances and the awful circumstances that happened to Arnie after this 
possession of David and him ultimately becoming possessed, that this would not have happened. Now, again, this is, this is subject to what you would believe. I believe demonic possession is real. If you're someone out there that believes demonic possession is real, you could be a firm believer in the fact that this actually happened. Also, you know, if you don't believe in it, well, then you have to take into account that, you know, there was a pretty big defense put up. You know, Arnie went through psychological tests. He had never, ever, ever had any violent tendencies prior to this. There were several key character witnesses. I mean, he was not a violent person. There was no type of animosity or anger towards him and Alan or any violent inc incidences with them prior. There was just a lot that said that there was nothing else that could have brought this on except for the fact that Arnie was not the person that killed the the physical act was done by him which is why le you know the legalities of it are very hard for a lot of people but the actual person that murdered alan bono or bono i apologize for the pronunciations was a demon this and the whole story itself is really sad and unfortunate because um no person died from this and it, it shouldn't imagine, have happened. It shouldn't have happened at could all. Could you imagine if they added that to like, you know, when people get convicted of murder, if they had some kind of new court ruling where it was like, committed murder but didn't, <laughs> like you're committed, you, uh, you've committed first degree murder, but also it's technically second degree murder, it's technically not murder but it is like could you imagine if they actually like made a court a court ruling of that due to this case even though i know they won't i mean clearly because they haven't but i'm just saying like because like how sit back and think about something especially if you do believe in demonic possession how many cases of murders are because of demonic possession like in all reality like this one got this one got um publicity but imagine how many cases there are that didn't you know that'll fuck you up <laughs> jesus and i don't mean just american cases i mean you're talking no. about cases all over the world everywhere um Eventually, Arnie was convicted of first-degree manslaughter on November 24th of 1981. He was sentenced to 10 to, 10 to 20 years. He only served five. Um, also, prior to the movie coming out and after the conviction, um, there, was a, there was a huge bone of contention with the Glatzel family. Um, Debbie and Arnie always stood by the story of what happened um gerald brittle who was a co-author with lorraine um on the demonologist i believe the haunting and even the devil in connecticut which was the book published about this story um all assert that they had uh hours of interviews signed contracts that the family agreed upon uh you know writing in the book um and obviously some of it, you know, authors do take, you know, art, artistic, you know, they, they take kind of their own, uh, 
merit with certain things. So maybe there may have been some things in the book that weren't necessarily true or were maybe zhuzhed up a little bit, but it was asserted by Gerald that there were contracts signed, that there was interview footage that said that this happened, that David was possessed, that this was witnessed. Um, Lorraine even went as far as getting in touch with the, there were six priests in total that were involved with David's um, exorcisms and they were contacted by Lorraine to also corroborate the story. Um, and the family was paid after the publication of the book, according to what was signed under contract. Um, unfortunately though, later on, David and his brother Carl Jr. sued the book's publications and the authors. Um, the father, Carl Glatzel, said that the family, said that Ed and Lorraine exploited the family, um, said that they lied, said that the whole entire story was concocted to get Arnie out of jail, um, but that Arnie and Debbie wholeheartedly supported the Warrens' account. They also supported the account by Gerald Brittle, stating that there was uh, interview footage, that um, everybody that was involved signed off on the book's publication, that it was accurate. Um, and that unfortunately there was a rift, there was a personal rift that happened in the family that caused the family to want monetary value after Arnie's trial. They felt like once the story got out after the trial, that they needed to be the ones to capitalize on it for monetary value, not Arnie and Debbie. So even though they so, stand behind the story being fake, they wanted the money from it. So you're telling me that the people who actually went through it don't get shit. Okay. That's not selfish. It just, it, a lot of it didn't make sense to me in the fact that, you know, this was some almost 30 odd years later and Debbie and Arnie's story never changed. No. There was never anything about their story that changed. Not once. The, the same story was kept the whole time. Everything that was said at trial, everything that was asked by the police, every interview, everything for the book, not one bit of their story changed. Not at all. And I don't know. I mean, they stayed married through all of this. They, I mean, they, they stayed together the whole time. I mean, why would Arnie put himself through this for their family when he didn't know them and he didn't owe anything to them except that he loved Debbie? And why would Debbie stay with someone if they thought that he was lying about this? And Do you really think that she would stay with a murderer? I mean, my Like, if, if he legitimately just killed this guy for no fucking reason, do you really think she would have stayed with him? She stayed with him the whole five years that he was incarcerated, married him after, and they had two children together. And they stayed married until her death. She unfortunately passed away last year before the movie came out. Um, I, I just... There's just so much, you know, when, when, when things make sense, they make sense. And when they don't make sense, they don't make sense. So I just, have you ever had a dream when you, when, when, when you, <laughs> I mean, pretty much like, you know, and it's, it's unfortunate because too, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of, you know, when, when you, 
when family when, when shit you, exactly when family <laughs> shit happens too you know yeah. what i mean and and that gets dragged into the public and you really you know that's not something that really needs to be everybody's business and everybody needs to know about but unfortunately that's what happens the whole story gets dragged out and all of a sudden everybody yeah i just i think that's what's sad about the whole thing yeah is that um <clears throat> all of their personal family drama got dragged out into the, into the open when, um, uh, her brother and her brother decided to, um, sue for the publication of the book. Like I just. Also, I do have to say getting into the film, um, I was worried because it wasn't directed by James Wan. Now James Wan did direct the first two, uh, but Michael Chavez directed this one, and he directed. Honestly, he directed *The Curse of La Llorona*, which also made me worried <laughs> because, in all reality, it wasn't the directing of *The Curse of La Llorona*. It was the story that was just not good. Um, because honestly, the people who were in it, the acting was good. Um, so I don't think it was the direction of the Curse of La Llorona, but uh, the story was just no. Um, so I was a little worried about the film not being directed by James Wan, but since James Wan was a part of it, it did it did come through. Um, I thought it was fantastic with the way that they portrayed the truth part of it. Uh, because there was a whole separate kind of storyline going on at the same time. Kind of like The Conjuring 2 with Valak. Um, but all in all, like, I, I love looking at these reviews because, like, I oh, am... I am so sorry. I wanted to say something really quick. I did not mean to interrupt you. Um, I found an article and I just wanted to clear something up. Um, Carl Glatzel was Debbie and David's brother. Um, their father's name was Carl Glatzel, so he was Carl Glatzel Jr. He is the one that brought the um, lawsuit into play after the book was, was published. It wasn't David. He wasn't the one involved. Apparently, Carl didn't believe in the exorcism at all. He states that David had always suffered, suffered a mental illness, that David was actually schizophrenic and that he was diagnosed schizophrenic as a child and that the family was exploitive, the parents were exploitive, and then um, calling Ed and Lorraine just exploited the whole thing even more. Um, but he is a brother to the family that stated that uh, he was the one that never believed any of this happened. So I just wanted to clear that up, that it wasn't David himself that actually brought the lawsuit. It was Carl, who actually wasn't even there to witness the exorcisms. He just didn't believe in any of it. And I guess to this day doesn't believe in any of it. So he's just proclaiming that it was exploitive. Um, That's something interesting, too. Why, why would you call Ed and Lorraine when clearly you know who they are and what they do? If you didn't, I'm not saying he did it. I'm just saying, like, if you're looking at it from his perspective, why would the family call Ed Why did his parents call them? Why did they call them? If they thought David was really mentally sick, why didn't they take him to a hospital? Why didn't they take him to a doctor? Why would you call a clairvoyant and a demonologist? That makes no fucking sense. 
So if that's the case, who was really exploiting? Was it the parents? Because if the parents called them, then why are you blaming Ed and Lorraine? Wouldn't your parents be the one to blame? They're blaming Ed and Lorraine because media. I mean, I'm sure that's a big part of it. But I just wanted to clear that up um, just to say that it wasn't actually David that was involved in it. Um, but that Arnie and, and Debbie always stuck by the story. Um, so I really just wanted to give more context because I think if people only saw the movie and didn't know this story, there is just so much from the movie. There's only so much from the movie that you can take in to what actually happened to the real story. So, I mean, obviously in the movie, they do start off by mentioning David's exorcism and then the transfer transference from the demon to date from David to Arnie and then the subsequent murder of Alan um, and then the trial starts, but then obviously the story veers off a bit from there because again, it's a movie. It's part of the conjuring universe. You know, there's other things that they want to include in there, you know, cause it's fictionalized. Um, but the story itself actually did happen. So I just wanted to venture in some of the parts that actually were in the film versus some of the parts that weren't in relation to, uh, Arnie's story specifically um well me and my roommate talked about it too because she's she didn't know much about the story either right so i was telling her i was like the parts of the movie where they were talking about the actual you know how the demon happened you know where he went to trial and all that kind of stuff i'm like all of that was true like they did a very good job because it was true right yeah I was like, obviously the little side story, no. But I was like, the rest of it was, it was pretty spot on. Yeah, I thought so. I mean, they, I think they, you know, when stories like this happen, they, you know, you don't want it to be full on documentary because obviously that's been done. You know, this is a feature length film. There's going to be a lot of dramatization. You know, you want it to entertain people, but the crux of it was pretty spot on. Um but the film itself, I was impressed with. I mean, if you're any, I'd I'd say for someone that knew about the story or didn't know about the story, um, I thought for the most part, it was pretty well done. Um, and then, of course, everything else they threw in was was just great. Um, you know, the explanation as to, why, cool. <laughs> as to why. Because, you know, there was that question in the movie, the, the woman that played Debbie's character as to why this would be specifically happening to them as far as like how the family was targeted for the demon, not so much what happened to Arnie, but what originally happened with David and the way the movie explained it was that they were cursed by someone. So I thought just taking that turn from the actual story um, for the movie itself was really good. Because that wasn't a part of the real story, but it was a neat, it was kind of a neat way to tie into the real story. Also, that totem was kind of wicked. Oh man, that was fucking crazy. And, it, <laughs> and it, 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 what it was really cool too is that it, there were so many elements of that that, um, you know, if you look back to our episode that we did about the Dybbuk box and like things that were featured in those Dybbuk boxes where it was like bones or, you know, different things, um, if there's hoodoo or voodoo curses placed on someone, you know, nail and a skull or through a body, 
feathers, just body part. It's like so much of that totem and the movie. Um, you could you could definitely tell that there was research put into curses from other cultures and like what they incorporate is and you could just I I saw a lot of elements of that like voodoo different things like that so that was really that was really neat and then having the um the guy that's the researcher mm -hmm. like he he was originally a priest and then left and then dedicated to researching researching about demons the demonic the uh and uh the, you know, the, um, his daughter learning from that, but then taking on a whole nother, like that was just, that was really fascinating. And I love that actor because he was on the X-Files mm -hmm. and he always has played like really creepy characters. So even that, that casting was spot the fuck on, which they're usually pretty, they've been pretty spot on with, with casting as far as these movies go. They have been. They're really good at casting people who look like the real people, too. They they really, they did an exponential job with Janet from The Conjuring, too. Especially because her as a child, she looked just like that. Like, that was, that casting was absolutely insane. Not to mention Vera and Patrick looking dead on Ed and Lorraine in this one. Because they they finally did Vera's hair like Lorraine did. And like as they made them look older and I was like, holy there were there were times I had to double take. I was like, is that Vera or is that Lorraine? Because well, <laughs> sticking with the storyline and the timeline, this was one of their older cases. So they right. I, I enjoyed that fact that they were making a point of showing the age progression from the first film with the early parent case versus now with this case now being in the early 80s so Lorraine is aged Ed is aged they start to mention Ed's uh heart problems in this one because that was something that was played later on in life with him it got even worse after the Amityville case if any of you are familiar with that so that was that was really I I thought that was really poignant because then that that gave a personalization to the story too because that was something that really did affect Ed. Mm -hmm. He really did have a heart condition. So playing that into this movie with the timing because they would have been getting older. Um I liked that too. That was really good. I think and that also can we talk about how her shirts match his ties? I love that. Sometimes it's her shirt, sometimes it's her skirt. But they match. I'm like, I don't know who pointed that out. That it's, oh my perfect. God, it's so cute. I can't, I can't. Goals. That was perfect. <laughs> That's why you said whoever pointed that out was just, that was like. You know what I love a lot on. about this movie are the reviews. Because the critics are way too hard on this. Um, now, IMDb does give it a 6.3, which on IMDb in horror, that's actually good. Um, Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic give it a 56 and a 53. That's pretty rough. But 91% of the audience, Google audience, liked it. Um, and Rotten Tomatoes, what was the audience score? On Rotten, and on Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score is an 84 so usually when watching stuff like this, most of the time the critics are just too rough. Like, 
they're just like, well, this and well, that. And I'm like, you didn't appreciate the movie for what it was. So I love that the audience was into it, though. And the people were like, yeah, we really like this. Because honestly, every single person that I've talked to said the same words. Not as good as the first two, but I absolutely loved it. That was literally just about every single person that I've talked to. They loved it. I just think a lot of this goes back to anybody that doesn't... I I truly believe that the majority of the harshness that goes into these movies are people that will just constantly be critics of Ed and Lorraine. Um, they'll never believe that they were real. They'll never believe that any of their cases were true. They'll never believe that this was anything but to get fame and just make it all up. Um, and I'd say, okay, you know, if you want to believe that, great, but, you know, where's the evidence behind it? And I also think it's interesting that a lot of this came out after Ed died. Like, I just think that's great. Like, the man wasn't even alive to defend himself. His wife is, his widow is in her 80s, and now all of a sudden you just you guys decide to come it just it just i just thought that was interesting that the majority of what started to come out about them didn't happen until after ed died like i just don't i just never thought anything like that is fair to do after someone dies because he's not even here to defend himself like there was no defending him at all and uh I think a lot of it speaks for itself. And I think it just goes with anything else. If you don't believe in things like that, you're entitled to whatever you believe. And if you've never had personal experiences yourself, you know, a lot of times I hope people wouldn't, you know, you don't want to experience things like this. Um, but to just, I just wish more people would keep an open mind. I mean, guys, you know? listen, I'll give you a, for instance, my roommate really doesn't, she it's not that she doesn't believe i don't think everybody should believe everything i just think no it's not that she doesn't believe but she kind of doesn't and she loves this stuff we just watched the first season of the exorcist she had never seen it she loved it and she doesn't fully believe in it you can watch something and not fully believe in it and you know appreciate it for what it is and i i really commend her for that because i'm like i know that you sit there and you don't fully believe in this but you're giving it a chance because you appreciate it for what it is she appreciates the conjuring films for what they are she appreciates the exorcist for what it is and you know i i commend her for that because yeah not everybody does believe in it that's fine i'm not gonna be like well i can't believe you don't believe in it no but you appreciate it for what it is. It's just like Becky said, have an open mind. There's nothing wrong with being like, well, you know, I don't necessarily believe in it, but it is a good movie or it is a good concept or this or that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've never thought everybody should believe in everything. No. Um, Healthy skepticism is a good thing. A very good thing. I just, I definitely don't think it's a good idea to believe in everything, but I definitely don't think it's a good idea also to not believe in any, you know, like to just not give anything a chance. One extreme or the other. Yeah, like, you can't, it's just that, that to me in itself is just too much. Like, just overall, if something can't be explained or something is just, okay, I, I don't know. Well, then at least give it that. 
be open and open-minded enough to go, Hey, I don't, I don't have anything else, but to say, I really don't know. Um, and it's okay to use the word paranormal and not necessarily be referring to a ghost because the literal definition of paranormal means not normal. I also think that's another <laughs> thing that goes going back to this, to the movie and, and more specifically the case itself. Um, you know, I think they came into play with the trial, with the fact that I think regardless, Arnie was, you know, they were going to, you were going to, I think with, you know, just no with, in the confines of the judicial system, you have someone who's been murdered. Someone's going to jail. Someone's got to go. So, you know, it, it wasn't the fact that Arnie wasn't going to go to jail. It was just, what was he going to go to jail for? And how, I, I think that, I think it goes back to what the jury, I think what we were talking about goes back to what the jury almost or over um, overall decided in this case was that nobody really knows what happened except the people that were actually there. So what? the story of, <laughs> and I think that's how, I, I think that's why it was even more difficult to even, you know, you could, you could bring about the self-defense if the lawyer was able to make it look like Arnie was defending Wanda against Alan. So I could see how you could use that. But I think really at the end of the day, when the jury knew that the demonic possession defense was not going to be able to be used, that there really wasn't anything left that they could do. There was as much testimony as they could take in. This is someone that has no violent history, no criminal record, completely out of the ordinary, except it just happened. I think that they were sort of stuck where they were like, I mean, we're, we really have no choice but to find him guilty because he was there and we do have a dead body. But I think that there was something even in the back of their minds, maybe even in the judge's mind, they were like, you know, we really don't know because this is, this is so unusual. This is such an unusual case. And also nothing like this had ever even happened in this town before. This is the early eighties. Like there was so much going on at the time and so many other factors on top of what I said before that Arnie, you know, that they knew each other. They were well acquainted. They were friends. Arnie is this really great guy that had, I mean, no one had any unkind things to say about him. His coworkers, his friends, nobody did. Nobody had an unkind thing to say about him. So it's like, and, and again, no violence, no nothing, no criminal record, no nothing. And brutally stabbed, brutally stabbed someone. And like literally multiple the way times. I, I, the description from the witnesses that were there of what happened, why was he two miles away? Didn't remember anything that happened. Like I, there was just too much in this case where I think at the end of the day, as a juror, you were just sort of like, <laughs> we, we have a dead body. He clearly was the cause of this dead body. No matter what the circumstances were, we, we have to convict him. Well, I love what he said in the movie when he's like, I'm not saying I didn't do it. Right. 
just I didn't do it. <laughs> like you know what I'm saying? Like he he I love how yeah, he did that. Such He's like difficult... I'm not saying I didn't physically do it. Right. He's right. like, but I didn't do it. Like, how fucked up is that? Like, how fucked up would it be to be him where you're literally like, I don't fucking remember. I don't remember anything at all. And then you wake up and you're out in the middle of goddamn nowhere covered in blood. That would be scary as shit. And I also think had there not been, that's why I did want to mention too, because this was not portrayed in the movie, that I think if the circumstances would have been the way that they were in the movie, or had Debbie not been there at all, this would have been a totally different case. Yeah. If it would have literally just been Arnie and Alan, and it was Arnie's word against Alan, yeah. and Alan's dead, they're... What are you going to do? Arnie would have gone away for murder. Yeah. I firmly believe he would have gone away for murder. Absolutely. Because now you've got no one no. except for the person that did it. it and they're yeah. saying they don't remember. Right. So, but with the fact that there were li not just one, but three, there were three witnesses there that saw exactly what happened, witnessed what happened, saw what, ha saw what physically happened to Arnie when he did it that's what I think changed the trajectory because even even though the demon possession defense was rejected by the judge you still had three witnesses able to corroborate the fact that Alan did do something that provoked not necessarily Arnie but you know, you couldn't say it was the demon, but it was the demon. You know, right. like, you know what? I don't get. I don't get why someone didn't take out their phone and record it. Because it was nineteen. I know. I was kidding. And <laughs> it was. It was. It was a joke. No, I'm just waiting for someone that was like, "Yeah, why didn't they?" It was 1981. First of all, pull out that giant fucking Nokia. I was just about to say, first of all, anybody that did have a camera back then to record home movies, holy shit. What was it? In like a camera what from a Ed film said, set. What Ed said in The Conjuring 2. Oh it's my so God. Right, and it was fucking huge. I was like. <laughs> so, yeah, it's definitely light now. Sir. But overall, I, I love. bust out my movie camera. Like. <laughs> <laughs> right? Good God. Overall, the movie was amazing. Um, I know we both loved it. I loved being able to watch it with you for the first time because we haven't watched any of the Conjuring films together for mm -hmm. the first time. So I loved doing that. Specifically the Conjuring movie. Yeah, specifically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, that was really awesome getting to watch that together. And I loved it. I think they portrayed it well. I think they, the side story was amazing. Um, the fact that the, you know, the evil is working against Ed and Lorraine and trying to make their love their weakness when in reality their love was their power was beautifully done. Um, like, Ed going after Lorraine, like, trying to kill her and then her being like, it's me, it's me, and then him, like, realizing what he's doing and then he stopped. I was, like, sobbing. <laughs> and I was like, I'm fine. It's okay. Um, but no, it it portrays their love for each other amazingly. Um, 
everyone who worked on it did a great job. The actors were great. The story was great. So I'm really hoping that we do get a Conjuring 4. Apparently there's some talk about it, but there's nothing in concrete and no one has signed on for anything yet. So, you know, it would be great if we did, but also if we didn't, it ended on a good enough note to where it's kind of like, this is the last Conjuring film, but we have spinoffs, so don't worry. <laughs> don't make another Annabelle. Please. That's, that's all I request. <laughs> there's four of them? Story. Or is there three? That story just, it's been beaten to death. And it's not even, none of them were even the right one. Nope. Except for the first ten minutes of The Conjuring. Exactly. Five minutes That's maybe? It. That's it. That's literally it. <laughs> That's it. And... Literally at the end of Annabelle Creation, fill in that gap. Annabelle Creation, Annabelle comes, oh, so there's three. Fill in the gap from the end of Annabelle Creation to the beginning of the first Conjuring. Well, and that, bitch, that, that bitch just keeps popping up all over the place anyway. So she just needs to calm down and <laughs> sit down somewhere. And Annabelle, sit down. Eat a banana. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a reference from this podcast that I watched that they take banana breaks. It's the fact that I sat here and thought about Annabelle eating a banana. That's the... Like, bitch, eat a banana. Just shove it in. Sit down. <laughs> shove it. Pour holy water all over it. Shove it in there. She wouldn't eat it then. You can't pour holy water on it. You just gotta, you just gotta open it and chuck it in just and close it. Open it, throw it in there, <laughs> eat the banana in her face and shut the door. The demon tries to get out and smashes the glass and is like, oh, yeah, eat that banana. Open that door real quick. It's like, ah, I'm like, no, bitch. <laughs> like, look, all open, you throw, all shut. Like, like we're like, ready? You got a tag team that shit. And that demon's sitting there waiting and you're like, ready? <laughs> I swear. Bitch. Oh my god. Um, I did want I did want to mention a couple of quick things. Um No quick when things. the story veers <laughs> off of uh off of, oh well they um changed obviously um for the movie, they changed um Alan's name to Bruno Sauls, if nobody caught that. Um, Bruno Mars? I know, right? Um, and then when they veer off the story from uh, what actually happened with uh, Arnie and the Glatzels and everything, and they get into um, who the Warrens go to meet with, the former priest that I mentioned, uh, where his daughter gets involved, and then you realize the totem. She bad. And that she was doing she black magic and all this other stuff. Um, there's a mention that the priest formally dealt with the disciples of the Ram cult. So if anybody remembers where that was from. Um, the worst conjuring film made. There's a little Annabelle nod there. Um, also, how interesting it is where there was kind of another offshoot. Uh, where the Warrens go to investigate a uh, young woman that was found stabbed to death. That was a, where there was a totem found, and there was a they were trying to see if there was a connection between this totem and the one that the was found where the Glatzels were. Um, now this wasn't a real case. This was just for the movie. I just thought it was interesting that they placed this case in Danvers, Massachusetts, which is actually not far from Danbury, Connecticut. 
But um, we were both very excited about that. You guys know anything about Danvers, Massachusetts? Uh, yeah, that place is something. It's fine. Everyone is it's at fine. rest. It's totally fine. <laughs> Everyone is peaceful. It's totally fine. <laughs> Totally, it's not fine. It's, it's, not. it's really it's not, not fine, fine at, all. at all. It's really fine at all. Sophia, go, go, oh go! I can't see. Oh my god, it's terrifying. It's so <laughs> terrifying. It's just, it's awful. Um, but yeah, there. I, I just thought that was really interesting. Um, that little mention and nod. Um, but yeah, Danvers, the mention um, from the Annabelle movie. So that was really cool. I, I really enjoyed that. Um. I love that he does that. I love that, you know, in, in every single movie, besides the first one, obviously, there's a nod somewhere. There's to something. There's, he does his universe a lot like Stephen King, where there's a nod. If there's one movie, there's a nod to another movie. And I, I love that. I love that he does that. That's why the ending of The Nun and the ending of Annabelle Creation are still like, what the fuck? Well, just in some way, shape, or form, these movies are all tied in together. So, except for the just, Curse of Light, Run. Yeah, I don't yeah, count yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. We don't count that. Stop one. that. We don't count that one <laughs> at all. I don't. No, no. <laughs> just we just do no. not count that one. Um. So yeah, that that's really interesting. That I always thought was really cool was that they kept, um, or that they always keep some some connection in there. To, Get uh, with all with all for free <laughs> with education. Sorry, <laughs> it's so hard. So, um, if we were to rank the Conjuring films, first of all, what do you rate the movie, and then we'll rate the uh, our films from favorite to least. Oh fuck! Really? Wow. <laughs> um, I'd say. Uh, oh my god! I'm sorry, like that cute. That was not the time. <laughs> that was my bathroom door, guys. My apologies. You didn't see me over here like... <laughs> I saw you turn and I was like, Demon? It's me. When you know all the... Your boy. When you know all the sounds in your own house. So you're just like, oh, that was a door. And you're like, what? I'm like... You're over here like existential crisis. And I'm like, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Glad to know that you're worried. <laughs> I was like, huh? Oh, that was a door. Anyway, what? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So what would you rate this movie by itself? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm sorry. My brain went to mush for half a second. Uh, she's like, do it. I'm like, huh? I don't know. <laughs> I did enjoy this movie. Um, you know, it gets it gets it gets more and more difficult when they do series of movies or sequels or anything. You know, once you branch from the original movie, it it's pretty hard to live up to it. Um, even though obviously each story is going to be different. Um, well, it's funny. I always tell people I'm like. You know, The Conjuring is not only my favorite Conjuring film, it's my favorite horror movie, period. I mean, I'm not going to lie. So, and I, and I mean this, even though The Conjuring 2 introduced us to Valak, I actually like 3 a little bit better than 2. And I <clears> think that 
That's just more. I can of understand my, why. Well, that's more of my personal thing, and it's based on just the cases themselves because I don't believe the Enfield Poltergeist case. I think it was a lie. I, I don't think all of it was a lie. I don't think all of it was a lie. I do believe that there. I do believe that David Wilkins was haunting that house, but I do think a lot of what the girls said was made up. I think this even, truth was stretched, and just... they even admitted years later, mm -hmm. as adults, that there was a lot that they lied about. There was recordings, uh, tapes that were played. Um, they could throw their voices, taps that they made, different little things that they knew how to say to lie about. So. I had problems with that movie mainly because I didn't believe in the case itself wholeheartedly. So even though the movie was very well done and well acted and well scripted, the effects were great. And again, it introduced us to Valak. Um, I just liked the third movie better personally because I liked the case. I believe in this case. And... Um, so that's just for me. So I think that's, I see, and I, I don't honestly even remember what I gave to if I ranked it, but, um, I'm sure we did back when we did our conjuring episode, but I don't remember. I, <laughs> um, you know, this, I, I can't give it anything higher than what I would give the first one. Cause that's always going to be a special place for me with that movie. But, um, I don't know. I, I love it. I don't want to give in the it, background. Like, well, I don't want to give it a seven. And I don't want to give it an eight. Like, I'm just. <laughs> so I'm, give it a seven point five. Okay. Well, there we go. There you go. Meet in the middle. That works for me. <laughs> I'll start walking your way. You start walking mine. <laughs> we meet in the middle. <laughs> I was like, where did that come from? <laughs> the middle. So I would rate three, probably in. Because uh, <laughs> um, I'm trying to rank it in my head with the other ones. Um, I'm going to give it a 7.8. Yeah, I give it a 7.8. Now the reason because I like The Conjuring 2 better for the movie. If it was based on the case, I would like three better, due to the same exact reason Becky said, because I believe what she believes about the infold poltergeist. I'm just kind of like, meh. But as a movie, I like the movie better. Also, I'm like really into the Valet character, like really into the Valet character. So that's another reason, like the ending of two is just fucking amazing. Um, it was pretty brilliant. It was it was just really cool how they crossed, like how the tapes crossed, and he played them together, and I had chills, and oh, it was just so good. But the ending of the third one is absolutely fucking incredible too, to be honest. So if I had to rate, I I do I will give the third one a seven point eight. Now, as far as ranking them as favorite to least favorite. Excuse me, the first Conjuring is always going to be my favorite because, like I said, that is my favorite horror film. Period. Excuse me. Um, the Conjuring 2 would come after. Annabelle Creation would be third. 
Um, Conjuring 3 would be 4th. And then The Nun would be 5th. And then Annabelle would be 6th. Oh, wait. Annabelle comes home before The Nun. And then The Nun. And then <coughs> Annabelle. I forgot about Annabelle Comes. I don't know why Annabelle Comes Home is gone. Like, for some reason in my head, that movie just is gone. I don't know why. <laughs> I know, and it's one of those that I hadn't seen. Like, I won't, I haven't seen it as many times as the other ones, but I really like it. Yeah, I like it too. A lot. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Um, and I hate that I forget about it because Ed and Lorraine is literally in it. Like, it, it was like the Conjuring film that wasn't the Conjuring film. Well, and then more um, around Judy, too. Right. Because I really enjoyed that. Um, also, I love that they kept the same Judy from the original two Conjuring films in the third one. <laughs> it wasn't the same Judy from Annabelle Comes Home. I did, too. But it was the same Judy from the original Conjuring films. Well, and I think, again, with the age progression. Right. You know. That the, makes sense. The year, the uh, chronologically with the stories. Um and again, that goes back to, you know, what we were talking about with you seeing, like, Lorraine look older, Ed look older. So it would make sense to cast the same actress, which, I mean, you would think it would make sense. Not, not a lot of people would do that. But I, we, pers we personally both really liked that because it was something that, you know, if you've been a fan of the movies, you would notice immediately that that's been the same actress. Because um, she was featured pretty prominently in all three movies. You know, the first one, there's the scene with, um, you know, the grandmother and Annabelle. And then the second one with her seeing Valak. And... Well, even the first one when Bathsheba attacked her. <clears throat> That's what I mean. Yeah, when the grandma yeah. was home because Bathsheba had Annabelle. Um, and then in the second one, of course, where she actually sees, she's the one that sees Valak mm -hmm. in the house. It wasn't uh, Lorraine. Um yeah, so I really enjoyed that too. I, I guys, you were gonna have to forgive me. I there is absolutely no way I'm gonna be able to sit here off the top of my head and try to rate all those movies. I'm just I'm I'm not even gonna attempt to do it. I don't know what happened, but my brain has just completely shut down. Like, She's like, I you know, am, I am just done. I am she... literally done. I would say it's probably. Close I've also to... officially been awake for almost 15 hours, so oh, I am. I just, I would say it's probably the <laughs> my same. My brain as, literally hit pause and there is like nothing else anymore. Like it's done. I would say that it's probably the same as mine, but the three would be over two. My list. Yeah, what was your least? Annabelle. Oh yeah. Oh, without <laughs> a doubt. I mean if I it my bottom line is my favorite is always gonna be the the conjuring out of any of them that's always going to be my top favorite and least is always going to be annabelle so <laughs> there is never going to yeah be. i mean any ev all you know anything in between is whatever but yeah annabelle and also is always going to be my least favorite you guys know like we said there's some talk about a conjuring four not concrete the crooked man is coming out there's going to be a nun sequel and I've heard, I've also heard rumors about an Annabelle 4. I really hope that doesn't happen. I will say out of the Annabelle movies, Annabelle <gasps> Creation is my, my favorite. I really like Annabelle Comes Home, but Annabelle Creation is... <laughs> I can't say anything bad about it. No. Like, I can't... 
As far as a spinoff film, best <coughs> Oh my spin-off God, film. I like, can't say anything. Oh, it is. Oh, hands <laughs> down. Yeah, with the universe itself, the first Conjuring is my favorite. Annabelle Creation is the best spinoff. The best one. Yes. And Annabelle is <coughs> always going to be the worst. It's the beyond the worst one it's in the, the worst. universe. It, so far, I don't know. I mean, the Crooked Man could be garbage. You know, <laughs> obviously, we know there's going to be other ones coming. So they could be garbage, too. We don't know yet. But, I really um, hope they aren't. I really do. Especially you know, the, the rest of them had their moment. You know, obviously, the, you know, the Nun was good. It had its parts. I really enjoyed The Nun. I thought The Nun was really well done. I really thought it was well You know, I, I could pick a few things here and there that I didn't really care for. It, well, the thing I thought, about the- I thought The Nun overall was really well done. And I think going back and watching it again, I, I think watching it again and then again and then again made me like it more and that ending will never not fuck me up ever. It's really the ending of the nun that gets you because you can say whatever oh, yeah. you want throughout the course of the movie, but that ending being a fan of the franchise will forever fuck me up. That I never just, watched the Conjuring the same. You can't. You can't. I, you can't. You can't because it's just it's it's insane. And, and the it's... only good that I will ever give Annabelle is its ending, obviously, because you know. Or Annabelle, the Annabelle Creations ending, because you have to, you know, because it ties in. So that's the only thing I'll give Annabelle, because <laughs> like, the ending of Creation, you're like, oh, shit, and then, you know, don't watch any the of the holiest. other movie after that. Just don't watch the rest of it. Just watch the beginning of Annabelle, and then don't watch the rest of the movie. You don't need, a, you don't need <laughs> like, to. That's all. Just watch, like, the first half hour and turn it off. <laughs> it's because you really You're done. Because you really it's, don't it's need any of the rest of it. Um... No, I love that. Holy shit. The holiest. <laughs> That's great. That line is great. See, and the nun comes home I had problems with too, but yeah. But it was good. It, was, it was good, good. though. I mean, we had Vera and Patrick. That's that's yeah, that's yeah. what did it for me. Yep. Because the whole time I'm screaming at her, Why are you doing these things that you were told not to do? <laughs> A lot of that movie was me yelling at the screen. Yeah. <laughs> So there was a lot of frust- this was this was me. There was a lot of frustration in the middle of that movie. <laughs> There's a lot of me when she lying. opened when she <coughs> listen when she opened the case. I'm like, you dumbass. <coughs> you know, one thing that I did love that they fucking did with that movie is and and this fucked with me really bad because you don't know because when you're first watching it, you don't notice it. But how the sound stopped when Annabelle got locked in. Like how you you kept you kept hearing something and you're like, what the fuck is that? And then when he finally locks Annabelle in, the sound stops and you're like, is that what the fuck I was hearing? <laughs> I turn to my husband and go, did that sound stop when they locked that bitch in that? He goes, yeah, it did. I'm like, okay, I just want to make, because I have tinnitus because I'm old. Um, so I get ringing in my ear. So that, like, I had to ask, You're like, go, did everybody else hear or not hear? Was I the only one? Because I have tinnitus, so I got to know. <laughs> Excuse me, everyone. Did that stop? Please, I need to know. Everything. I have a question. Can you pause? Yeah, that, question. that fucked that part. In that movie, I remember that fucked me up because I'm going, "What the fuck is that sound?" And then immediately when he locks it, 
It stopped. And it stopped. And there was like this deafening silence. I was like, <laughs> wait. <laughs> wait. And then when she opened it, you heard it. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God. She walked over to it and she goes, mm, and I'm like, no, 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 no. I bet but your guardian angel is going sympathize. I swear. But <laughs> as someone who has a deceased parent, of, I course, get, of course, sympathize yeah. so much with Daniela because. Especially because in oh all reality, God. she legitimately did not know what she was doing. She, she did well, not. Well, and know. I always go back, and I know a lot of people hate this movie, but I always go back to Insidious 3 when I think about stuff like that. The more I watch Insidious 3, the more I lost, If you've never lost a parent, it's it's that not knowing and 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 missing you know it's you can miss someone but when you can't touch them again or hear them again or smell them again it's just it's all of those things that you just wish you had a chance one more time just one more time and then even more so if you have a belief in the afterlife, if you have a belief in ghosts, if you have a belief in even you're really wanting like, oh, is there a chance I could connect to them? Is there a chance? And and I get it. I get it. I get it. It's it's desperation. You just you want you want to see them just again, just one more time. You just want one more time. You just want one more time. But you know, you open that door, you let everybody in. So <clears throat> Yeah. It's just What like did you touch? <laughs> I was like, God damn it! As soon as she walked over, I was like, Don't. And I was like, She literally touched everything. She literally, she touched, literally every touched everything. It's <laughs> a hand sanitizer. She touched everything. I don't know if hand sanitizer. Holy water! You got a holy water that bitch. Can somebody bless the sand? Can we get a can, can we get a pool? Could we get the Pope to bless this hand sanitizer? <laughs> the whole Pope. The whole Pope. This is Pope Purell. <laughs> the Pope Purell. Try it. May God be with you. May God be with you. May God be with you. And also with you. <laughs> okay, may the force be with you and with you. May God be with you and with you. <laughs> Swear. Pope Purell. That's... I mean, that's another that's another <laughs> shirt right there, Pope Purell. <laughs> cleansing one I soul at a time. Make that happen. <laughs> um, cleansing cleansing souls daily. <laughs> <laughs> souls and ants and everything else. Oh my god. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Sorry, my brain stopped working, guys. But yeah, um, I love this movie. I was really happy to see this case done. Um, if they did a fourth one, I'd be very interested to see what they do, because it it, it there's it, they're getting older, so it would need to be an, a newer case. Well, Ed died in two thousand and six, right? Up until a certain point, they had stopped doing cases. Mm -hmm. They weren't doing cases anymore. So I don't, you know, it would depend on <clears throat> where they decide to stop. And again, of course, the biggest thing is would. Patrick and Vera um, be willing to um, because I think with how with how close they became with Lorraine before she passed away, specifically <clears throat> how close Vera became 
with Lorraine, I don't think there's anything at all that they would want to do to disrespect their name. They have a lot of respect for Ed and Lorraine, and you see that. Um, and I think knowing her help made that even more so. Um, also with the fact that uh, Tony Spira, uh, Ed and Lorraine's son-in-law, who is married to Judy, their daughter, um, you know, he owns the rights to anything with the Warrens, you know, as far as their case files and everything. So I think it would, I think it would depend on, there would just be so many factors that would have to bring it together. You know, are, are Tony and Judy on board? What, what cases would they be willing to release? Um, are Vera and Patrick on board? And James if, Wan, if, and James Wan, in some facet, would yep. have to return as well because this. If know. James Wan, nor Vera, nor Patrick is involved, I don't want it. I don't want it. Don't do it for money. Don't do it for clout or whatever. Don't touch them. Just leave them alone. Let them lie. <laughs> yeah. Do your spinoffs. I don't care. Leave the Conjuring movies alone. Yeah, we can, we can, <clears throat> I'm perfectly fine with no more Conjuring movies. I think yeah. the three that were done were great. It's a perfect trilogy. And Just it's leave fine. it alone. Um, as far as spinoffs, uh, you could do a lot with that. And I'm, I'm not opposed to, uh, spinoffs. Um. Stop with the Annabelle stuff. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a lot in the same way, you know, you could even say that for, if you're a Star Wars fan, I know this isn't horror, but, it, you know, the, the Star Wars universe, you could spin off all over the, there, there's a whole universe, literally. Um, you could spin off anywhere, because we don't, just Scott Walker, it's done, it's done, you don't need. Are you sure we don't need another Let's three movies? finish off the Mandalorian. Are you sure? You don't... <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> Palpatine came back from the dead again? What? Like, can we not? Can How many times do we can have we to not? teach you this lesson, old man? I don't want to do, like, no more. Please. Please, <laughs> no more. Please. Please stop. Just stop. Disney, stop. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, like, you could do, when you, when you when created you, a universe within a franchise, <clears throat> there's a lot that you can spin off from that. <clears throat> but if the original story is done, it's done. Leave it alone. It's just done. So the three Conjuring movies are perfect. I don't really think that we need another one. Um, but I am looking forward to the spinoffs. I, I am. I'm looking forward to see what they do with the Nun sequel. Very interested to see what really they do with that. I am really interested in that, too. <clears throat> yeah. I hope Thais is in it. And I hope they keep that story kind I'm of... I'm very, very interested to see what they plan on doing with that. That'll... Because that, I still that think... I'm... Even though also the crooked man story, I don't really know where they could go with that. I don't either. I mean, I I that character freaked me the fuck out in the Conjuring two. Um, but I mean, who knows? There's so much know, that they're able to base who, these off of. That, guess who the crooked man actually was, though? Yeah, that act, uh, Javier Boat. Bo no, Bet. like who it was? It was Valak. Oh yeah. So they yeah, made yeah, yeah. somehow. Knowing James, how James Wan does it, you know he's going to connect it to Valak somehow. I'm sure he's going to do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because that was it was one of Valak's. It was technically uh, Valak. It was one of Valak's um, <clears throat> manifestations. Yes. But uh, which would be really fucking cool if the Nun Two and the Crooked Man somehow connect. Yeah. Since it was technically Valak, because I know that James Wan knows this because he has 
I tweeted about this and he liked it. <laughs> I tweeted that I think he's created a new horror icon. Because you know you have like horror icons, you know, obviously Freddy, Jason, Chucky, you know, the usuals. But I think he created an icon in the Conjuring films with Valak. And he should he should really play into that. Not to death, might I add, but what he's done so far with the nun, with the conjuring two, the fact that Valak was in Annabelle Creation because of the connection with the nuns. Incredible how he's literally putting Valak like all throughout this. So I'm very interested to see what he does with the Nun 2 and the Crooked Man because in all technicalities, the Crooked Man was Valak. So like, what are we going to, where are you going to go with this? I'm very interested to see. And please, <clears throat> please don't fuck it up. <laughs> please don't. Yeah. Don't um, do what the creator of the boy did. Please. <laughs> let's, let's not do that. Let's please not do that. So I'm trying to think. I'm I'm looking back. If you guys wanted to, um, it was re it was one of our early early episodes that we did about um, Ed and Lorraine. If you're wanting to get more uh, history as far as who they were and cases they did, that was one of our really early episodes. Um, and then there was also one where we just specifically go off on a whole rant about how wonderful James Wan was. Um, or is as a director. Um, but yeah, if you, if you guys want to go back and listen to that, um, and again, it's, I understand a lot of people have their arguments with Ed and Lorraine, you know, you're valid in your opinion, but if you are willing to have an open mind and, um, you know, just gain a different perspective about them, I would highly recommend listening to, um, our early episode about them. And then the one that we actually did about the Conjuring universe was really great too, because, you know, just being able to sit and go back through the movies and talk about them. And um, yeah, that was actually episode 29. So that's going way back. Um, wow. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we had quite a few movies to talk about by then too. So mm -hmm. Um, also and we're able to talk a lot about, and just able to talk a lot about James and how much we appreciate his work and what he's done and what he, um, what just the, the, the help that he's brought to the legacy of the Warrens too, like, is just really appreciated. I love that horror was kind of quote unquote dead for a hot second. And then James Wan is like, hold my beer. <laughs> I got an idea. <laughs> Thank you so much for all of like for, for just for these fucking movies. Like I love Chucky. As far as like a universe, obviously Chucky means a lot to me. But he does it Chucky is like nothing compared to what these movies mean to me. They are my favorite universe. They mean so much to me, especially just because of how much I love Ed and Lorraine, and I know Becky does as well. We just, we really appreciate these films, and James Wan really did a good job bringing them to life, and I'm just, I'm very happy that they happened. I'm very happy with the casting, I'm happy with everything, and I'm just, I just love them. I really do. If you 
are also op have an open mind like Becky was talking about. Read The Demonologist. I am telling you, that book changed my life. And I know Vera had talked about it and she said it scared the shit out of her. It will scare the shit out of you. It is... It is terrifying. It's one of those horror... Like, when you read... You're like, I want to read a scary book. And then you read that and you're like, oh yeah, this was real. <sighs> yeah, and they and go... I... They go very into depth. Very in depth with Annabelle. Like, if you want to actually know the real story behind Annabelle, it's chapter three, I think. And they go very in depth with it. So you know more. I think what the book more or less did for me... Um... <clears throat> I don't think so much that it's, I, I don't, I, I can see how it would terrify someone, but I don't really want to give that the moniker. I think what, I think what it did for me and what it should do for a lot of people is just, is Ed's, just keep Ed's message alive. Demons are real. They are real. And they walk amongst us and you have to protect yourself. You have to protect yourself. Know what to look for. Know what signs are there. Um, obviously, don't discount mental illness because that is a real thing. And you want to get professionals involved. You want to get doctors involved. You want to make sure you're doing that the right way. Because if you mistake a mental illness for a possession, you are going to fuck that person up even more. And vice versa. That yeah. could leave them with a lot of trauma. You do not want to put someone that is suffering from schizophrenia or multiple personalities through an exorcism that is going to exacerbate their mental illness. That could lead them to killing someone or killing themselves. You do not want to do that. You always, especially if there is, if there is a history of mental illness in the family, schizophrenic is, schizophrenia is genetic. It is. So if there is a history of it in the family, obviously that needs to be explored. If there's signs and symptoms you need to get doctors and professionals involved. But to completely deny the fact that evil does not exist is ignorant. And I'm not speaking from a religious aspect. I'm not Catholic. I wasn't raised Catholic. Neither was Casper. We're just, we're, and, and it just really in religion in itself, it has nothing to do because we've done episodes here where we've talked about different cultures, different beliefs. I mean, we've talked about the Jinn, we talked about the Dybbuk. So it doesn't matter what your religion or what your culture is. Evil exists, period, in the world. I just use the word demon because it's just easier to explain it that way as, a, as the physical manifestation of what evil is. But every culture, every religion, evil is real and evil exists. And if you turn a blind eye to it, if you don't believe it, if you open that door, it will let itself in. So yes. that's that's the message that I feel like needs to come across in the demonologist and why I urge so many people mm -hmm. to read it because it will, I'm, I'm telling you, it will change your mind. It will change your mind or at least open your mind up a little bit more to the possibility that people can actually experience things like this and have no other way to explain it other than it was a phenomena that's not of this world. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you can believe evil people exist, if you can believe bad people exist, then you can believe evil energy exists and that evil energy will manifest itself. 
So I think that's more or less the message that needs to be conveyed. So I, I urge, I mean, Casper and I both, obviously, but I urge everyone to read The Demonologist and not, not be terrified by it, but take it as a warning. It doesn't need to terrify you. It doesn't need to scare you. It needs to educate you. Which is you what I was trying. you need to take it as a valid warning. That's what I was trying to say. I mean, the book is scary. I'm not going to sit here and say it's not scary, especially when you're, when you're reading it in detail. But that book changed my life because of how I was raised. I was raised that all spirits are demons. All of them. Nothing, nothing... There are no, like, ghosts, basically. Everything is demons. This book did not just educate me on the fact that ghosts do exist as well, but it really does educate you on telltale signs of demons, yeah. telltale signs of ghosts, how to know the difference. Like, it literally goes into detail about how to know yeah. the difference between the two. And I love that because... You will know, especially if you're like me and Becky, if you're an empath, if you feel spirits, you're going to know the difference about the feeling of when you feel a demon as well as other than when you feel a ghost. There is a massive difference. Even when you feel a malevolent ghost, it is different than a demon. Completely different. So it's just, it's very educational. It's very, it's very point blank and very straightforward. Very educational. Yeah, I like that word. And it is scary but it's educational. It's an educational... It's scary because this is real. It's like things. a scared straight. That's what I like. It's yeah. literally like a scared straight. Not like you should read this and go, oh, I'm scared. Yeah, and no. ignore it. It's like a scared straight. Like, I like that better. It's literally like a scared straight. Like, it will scare you enough into believing that this is real. And that's That it what... will educate you to know what to look out for. That's what I truly feel like Vera meant. When she said that book terrified her, because I think it made it real. It, I think that's it makes, what it did. Yeah. Is it makes it real because I don't. I I do believe that everyone thinks that there is at least something out there. Because I think you know, like people have intuition. You know, you hear people say, "Ooh, man, I just got a bad feeling," or Trust "I was it. around this guy and I didn't something didn't feel right," or Trust "I was in this place and this didn't feel right." That's your sign right there. Yep. Like what you think is just intuition or maybe it was just something. No, that that is what that is. That's that warning you know that, that they tell you about in this book. Is that intuition? Listen to that because that's that's what that is. And it may not necessarily be a demon. No, but there could be demonic energy backing that that's making you feel that way. There could be some evil lurking in the background that's leaking out enough that's sending you some type of signals that's like, wait, something doesn't quite feel right. You ever walk into a Always place and you get a pit in trust, your stomach? That happened to me the other day. Trust it. <laughs> I got the there's fuck a, out. There's a reason. Leave. Get get away from it. If you have that pit. I'm going to go. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm going to go. <laughs> if you walk into somewhere go. or you're around somebody and you feel really anxious or off heaviness or like heavy hit heavy. in your stomach sick just like something is wrong trust it yeah, a lot of people don't so trust it there's a hair in my mouth and i'm about to gag <laughs> trust it no <laughs> um, <I'm> like, <laughs> yeah that was a good one guys anyway. um <laughs> 
so we didn't really obviously actually give a lot since of we've been sitting here and talking about this i'm like i want to reread the demonologist i, know, I think right? i might actually reread it um Obviously, we didn't give a lot of spoilers about the movie itself. Um, we do encourage everybody to watch it if you haven't seen it. Um, if you have seen it, you know, watch hopefully it you enjoyed this. And um, hopefully we gave you some insight about more of the background of the real story, too. Because I do genuinely believe that there were a lot of people that saw this movie that didn't know oh, anything sure. about this background. Um, also, if there's anything that we left out, there is, and I mentioned this last week, there is an amazing documentary that does show some of the interview footage from the, um, a haunting episode that I mentioned. It's on Discovery Plus right now, and it's called The Devil Made Me Do It. It came out to coincide with the movie, um, a little over an hour long, um, but it is incredible incredible um the interviews they play the actual recording from one of the exorcism that david went through um archival footage of you know interviews with lorraine and whatnot so i just i i highly encourage everybody to watch that documentary if you're able to so yeah um so next, next week episode uh guys there so we're doing um if you've if you've been keeping up um our uh true crime episodes uh we've been focusing on um unsolved murder cases and uh this is one that i don't think a lot of people are familiar with i've actually never i think maybe one but not i don't think any other maybe one maybe two but i don't really think any other mainstream podcast are talking about this i haven't seen really any thing about it but um about 20 years ago in Arizona there was a family that was murdered and the house there was a massive explosion uh and it was the family of a man named Robert Fisher he has been missing ever since um some people believe that he committed suicide some people believe that he is still alive that he's here that he could be hiding out of Mexico this is just a really, really interesting case that I feel like more people need to be talking about because if there is a possibility that Robert Fisher is alive, um, he needs to be brought to justice. Uh, this is, it's a really sad case. Um, what drew me to it was a documentary I watched. It's actually now free on Tubi and it's, uh, I think it's called where is Robert Fisher or who is Robert Fisher? I'll have to look up. It's probably exact... where is Robert. I think Fisher. it is. I think it's where is Robert Fisher. And it came out, um, in 2011. So this would have been 10 years after the murder. So, um, ironically, 10 years it's been ago, it's been officially 20 years since the murder happened. Um, and yeah, like I said, this is just, it's a crazy case. I have not heard anybody. I've not heard enough people talk about it. And like I said, if there is any chance whatsoever that he would still be alive, I think that more people need to know about this case because this was awful. Um, yeah. I mean, he would only be 60 years old. So there is a really, really valid chance if he didn't kill himself after the murders happened that he would still be alive. So, um, yeah, I hope you guys uh, tune into that because if you're unfamiliar with the story and you've never heard of it, it, it is really, really interesting. And obviously um, for our promos, we're going to post pictures of him. So that way, if there's any fans out there or anybody that listens to this that tells somebody else about it and they see his picture, maybe maybe somebody will recognize him. So this this one in particular, I 
I wanted to talk about, like I said, because there is a real possibility that he could still be out there. And I'm I'm interested in it because I don't know anything about it really, so it'll be educational for me. Yeah, it's just it's just it's a sad story, but um it's definitely one that we feel like we need to talk about because not enough people are talking about it. And if there's any possibility that this motherfucker can be brought to justice, like, it needs to happen. Definitely needs to happen. Do you know what I don't understand right now? Is why I had Tiny Tim in my head. I don't know. Living in the family. Probably, well, because we were, because I mentioned Insidious. Insidious. Yeah. Okay, I was like, That's please why. tell me why. Tell James, me why. James Wan, so there you go. Like, all, why do I always forget that James Wan did the Insidious just films? All ties, ties and in Patrick together. Wilson. Right? How dare you? Right? Cast him in two of your massive. How dare, sir? <laughs> How dare, sir? You. All right, guys. Well, Words. speaking English, I think we're both like. Yeah, brain dead. Um, all right, guys. Well, you know that you know the drill. We have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at DFWTO Podcast. Handle is DFWTO8811. Uh, we are on Spod Spodbean. Spodbean. I actually <laughs> I like, like it. that. I like a that a lot. <laughs> Spodbean. And uh Google iTunes. <laughs> we yes. are on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean. Give us a follow, give us a subscribe, and rate us. That way you always know every single time an episode comes out, because, you know, usually Wednesdays, but sometimes not. And if you follow us, you will know. Exactly. You guys have an amazing week. Take care. Enjoy the fall weather that we're having right now, because it's going to go away in like two days. If you're getting some, if it's still ungodly hot, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, to be all to be ungodly hot again, so. Right. Anyway, you guys have a good <laughs> week. We love you, and remember... Don't, Don't fuck, fuck with the, the original. original. <laughs> <laughs> Living in the sunlight. Loving in the moonlight. <laughs>